Welcome to the We Go Places podcast, where we catch up with WeGo grads who share with us the story, the journey to their unique careers. I'm your host, Brian Turnbaugh, English teacher at WeGo since 2001, and you just heard intro music from Andy Georgiev, class of 2022. Today, I'm excited to talk to class of 2014's Alondra Garcia, social worker at Northwestern Medicine. Alondra will share with us how a budding fascination in psychology in high school led her to pursue a career in social work. Joining us today is Alondra Garcia from the class of 2014. Alondra, tell us what you do. I am a medical social worker and I work with uh, intensive care patients and oncology patients in the hospital setting and outpatient setting. So Alondra, when did your journey begin um, uh, for this career after we go? Did you know that you wanted to get into this field at WeGo or did it kind of like, what was the process? It was, it was actually a very funny story and it was kind of crazy because, um, my sister kind of, she was, she was one year older than me and she was kind of trying to guide me where to go for college and what to study. And she just threw it out there to me. She was like, you should be a social worker. And I, I was always really into mental health and always into, um, you know, just looking at like being more spiritual. So, you know, when she kind of introduced that to me, I was like, okay, this is something that I'm kind of interested. And I honestly signed up for Aurora University and just enrolled in the major and kind of winged it and was like, okay, let's see how this goes. Cause I was really like, I was undecided. Like I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, but I always had like some sort of passion for like mental health. So that's kind of how I started. And then just through taking courses at Aurora University, I kind of learned more and more about the career and um, I fell in love with it even more. So your, your sister must have picked up on something that you have a particular habit or an empathy or an intuition to mm-hmm. read people in such a way. Do you remember what that was? That I mean, she wouldn't have just suggest that out of nowhere. Do you remember if there's a specific incident that probably made it more likely like, Hey, yeah, you know what? I was able to kind of, you know, so to speak, read the room or kind of have an intuition or kind of see something that was developing that maybe other people weren't able to perceive on that very human level. Do you remember if there was an instance where that happened? Right. I think honestly, it was just like, you know, obviously me and my sister are really close. And so just like growing up, I think I've always been a very empathetic person and I've always been very in touch with my feelings. And I'm a very much, I was born in July and I'm very much a cancer and very into my feelings. And I think, um, honestly, that's probably how she read me. Um, she's a very person, a person that kind of, you know, goes with what her brain tells her and I'm more of a heart person like kind of goes with what my feelings tell me 
So I think, you know, she probably saw that in me and was like, hey, this is like a career that you would be really great in. And, you know, I I looked into it a little bit and I did AU and, you know, I I felt like it was really, really what I was supposed to do and what I'm meant to do. So tell me about the coursework. So when did you decide to maybe narrow it to psychology? Yeah, so, um, you know, mental health has always been very, very important to me. Um, And also, I love watching crime shows. So, you know, I've always really, really have been into like looking at what makes a person do what they do. And psychology is all about understanding the human brain and like why we function the way we do. And so, you know, um, taking some psychology courses at Aurora University only strengthened, you know, my love for working with people and learning more about mental health in the brain. So it was, it was really nice. Yeah. What was like, what was your favorite class that really kind of set the hook for you? I honestly would say psychology, um, because I took a lot of courses. I took sociology, I took psychology, I took, um, just basic social work classes, um, that taught a lot about like the human development. Um, and I took a lot of English classes. It's a lot about writing and um, analyzing. And I think my favorite class was honestly psychology, just learning about why we why we behave the way we behave. Um, and when you look at all the theories that are behind human behavior, it's kind of intense. And it's kind of like it provided my own therapy for myself because I was like, oh, this is why I do this or this is why I act like that. So it was it, it was really my favorite class because I literally got to learn a lot about human behavior. Would you if you could maybe even describe that, you know, is there a, a skeleton key to. Um, what you think unlocks most of what, why we do what we do, like just kind of like you said, like that, that class was very right uh, formative in your ability to see uh, the kind of the patterns underneath that. Uh, what would you say is like one of the first things that you begin to kind of evaluate of the why when you're trying to kind of understand um, a, a scenario? Yeah. So um, with psychology, it's honestly, and like the behavior in humans, it all stems from our childhood and everything. I mean, there's different theories and different, um, you know, everyone believes differently. But uh, one of the theories that we learned was it psychodynamic or insight theory. And it's basically like we learn and we behave through our childhood experiences. So what happens in our childhood um develops and it makes us act or behave a certain way. So, you know, with our defense mechanisms, the way we act towards people, the way we build relationships, all of that kind of stems from your childhood and how you interacted with your parents. And I just thought that was pretty insane how, you know, literally our, like, you know, our behavior is going to be impacted by something that happens like, years before we were able to even talk, you know? So I just think that's pretty amazing. And that's what I found the most yeah, interesting. That is, it is interesting when, when you think about how that then becomes kind of a muscle memory of behavior, right. you know, that's something that they may not have had language to even articulate what that is. So it'll be interesting to kind of tease out how uh, you're able to kind of 
um, kind of un un unpack that, you know, when you're working with your clients mm -hmm. uh, and yeah. all that. When you were at Aurora, so, so you finish, so you finish your degree at Aurora, but then does it, did you have like a type of like capstone or senior thesis uh, at Aurora University for this degree? Um, I had a research paper that I had to do like my senior year and it was like a huge senior research paper, um, you know, conducting um, research on patients and communities and it was pretty big, um, but for the most part, Aurora University is a very good small university and they kind of split things up for students so it doesn't seem like such a big end task for students. Um, I did my four years and then um, I did do an undergrad internship and then after that I went on to um, do my master's degree with Aurora University also which was an additional year and then I also had to do another internship. So that's kind of like our, like our big, big um, grade in a sense, you know, your internship and having that work, work experience. What was your first internship? My first internship what was your second one. My, my first one was at um, a child welfare center. Um, and it was very interesting because I honestly didn't know there's so many ways there there's so many different careers that you can pick in social work. And so I was very much interested in children and um, I picked child welfare, which is basically um, assisting parents that have been mandated by the state to take like parenting classes, therapy, and, you know, there's some sort of trauma in the families that has happened, whether it be like abuse, um, either physical or, you know, neglect. And so it was all about trying to guide the parents to, you know, be able to have, um, you know, to continue to have a healthy relationship with their kids. Um, so that was very interesting, but I ended up not really liking that. <laughs> it was very difficult. Even though it was kind of a rough plow, what did you take from your internship that you then were able to use moving forward? Learning how to communicate with parents. I mean, at this, or like any adult, um, during this, this stage, like these parents are going through a crisis, um, whether it be a single parent or, you know, both parents, they're going through a crisis state. And so they, they honestly, like you said, I'm over here such so young trying to give them like parenting skills and trying to like, you know, facilitate healthy relationships with their children. And they're kind of looking at me like, who are you? And you're too young and, you know, you don't understand. So I think the the most, the thing that helped me the most was like being able to communicate and like learning how to talk to people um, during crisis. And normally that's when people are really pissed off <laughs> and, you know, they're, they don't want to talk to yeah, you yeah. and they don't, and they have these bare, they, they have these walls up and they just, you know, aren't open to receiving any new information or even receiving help sometimes. So that really did help me because it helped me like later down in my career, because being a social worker, you're always going to have patients or families, um, clients that are in a state of crisis and you need to learn how to talk to them and communicate with them and, you know, be understanding and empathetical through what they're going through. Um, and you know they they have they they've so far been receptive to me so <laughs>
You know, I was wondering, Alondra, if I could just kind of kind of follow up on something that you said there, yeah. which is I, no doubt that, you know, we, all of us are going to have tough conversations with people who are, might be putting up walls. What, what would be a good way to kind of show support to someone who you want to kind of bring those walls down or at least show them that type of support? I mean, obviously we're not trained uh, social workers like like and have the kind of experience that you have but mm-hmm. what's the best thing that a, a really good friend or family member can do to um really kind of build that trust and and kind of help bring those walls down as you speak what's what's advice that we could give yeah i mean my advice honestly would be to just be there and listen to them you know sometimes it's not what you say it's just being there um you know like there's the saying you know you're never gonna, or you might forget what someone said to you, but you won't forget how they made you feel. So I think, you know, just being there and listening. And sometimes, honestly, silence is the best thing. You don't even have to say anything. The person just wants to vent and tell you what's wrong and they'll feel so much better afterwards. Um, But definitely, you know, just providing an ear for people. That's, that's probably my best advice because it's hard to give advice a lot of the time. You're right. You know, there is something about that. I think in my, in my years, I've noticed that sometimes like, I think we feel compelled that we need to say something, Mm -hmm. but I've found that was oftentimes when I've just kind of listened and, and been present and limited my need to respond. I, I always felt like that will always felt like it, it was a better use of communication, strangely enough, by not actually saying anything right. at all. So right. that was, that was, that was fun. So, um, all right. So then you, what was your second internship then, uh, as you were pursuing your master's? Yeah. So then when I, when I got to my master's, I knew that I, you know, working with families was a little bit too much for me. Um, and so I wanted to work in the hospital setting and I wanted to do more clinical, um, so I did my internship for my master's degree at Dalmore Hospital, which was part of a ho- well, which was medical basically, and it was all um, working with patients. It's mostly geriatric patients, so like the elder uh, population. We would get some patients, you know, middle aged, um, but never any any young children, uh, which is nice because you know it's hard to work with kids and see kids go through difficult situations. Um, so that was really nice. And I actually really, really liked it. Um, and that kind of led me to once I graduated, go into what I'm doing now. So it was a very good experience for me. So what's a, what's a typical day for you now at work? Yeah. So with social work, there, there are yeah, with social work in the medical field, there's so many different ways that you can go, get into it. Um, What my main role as a case manager in the hospital setting was or is, is basically discharge planning. So it's meeting with patients, meeting with families, um, and helping them come up with the best discharge plan to make sure that they have a safe return home. Um, Obviously, when they're in the hospital, they're in a crisis state. So, you know, getting them back to um, you know, stabilizing them in the hospital and then 
transitioning them out into the community and making sure that they have all the resources and everything that they need to be successful. Sometimes that's like financial stuff, that's um, any medical equipment, any medicine, a lot of financial stuff that a lot of elderly come, you know, like face a lot of issues with finances. Um, And honestly, I had to do a lot of conversations in the ICU with patients and families, especially during COVID. And it was very difficult conversations about end of life. And that's something that, you know, um, is difficult. But I honestly really, really, um, I didn't enjoy, but I really, really liked being the support for the family and, you know, being there for them during those difficult times. I, I, I can imagine that that has to be very heavy on your heart uh, mm-hmm. as well. Um, I mean, if, if your work is one that you are in the presence of people who are suffering, they're in pain, both physically, maybe even emotionally and all of that, how do you stay strong yourself when you are um, really in an environment where it, it you just be, because you are an empathetic person, how are you able to kind of keep your own type of strength and not necessarily wall off, but be able to absorb and process those very intense things that you experience every day with your patients? How do you how do you kind of sort that out? Yeah, it's it's honestly it was very difficult at the beginning. And it's hard not to like bring that home with you when you are seeing, you know, people die, you know, in front of you or, you know, talking to families and having them sob and saying, you know, we want to keep trying, we want to keep going, like, but there's like, really, honestly, like, there's nothing more that can be done. So it's, it's very hard. Um, You know, over like, at the beginning, it was it was harder. But over time, it's, it's just kind of something you kind of I don't know, it, you get used to it. And it's and it's kind of sad. But I, I try to like, focus on the positives and try to like focus on the fact that the patient is no longer suffering. And, you know, they're not getting, you know, they're not getting blood drawn, they're not getting poked at and you know, they're not going through unwanted or hurtful procedures. And you know, the family's finally letting the patient rest. And um, a lot of the families are very grateful for, you know, the ICU staff, the nurses, the social workers, the doctors, they're all very grateful that we're transparent with them. And we, you know, inform them of what's what's going on, and what are the outcomes going to be. So it's hard. <laughs> Tell me more about the work environment. Uh, at, so you show up to work roughly at what time of day? What are what's a typical week like? Yeah. Uh, and, and the whole hourly schedule when you go up to work? Yeah, so being a hospital, it's honest, it's 24 seven, but social workers aren't there 24 seven. Um, you have basically I started at 8am. Um, and I'm out by 430. It's a Monday through Friday thing. Um, and, you know, during the mornings, I, I look at all my patients and my census, and I kind of check up on what's been going on with them, what you know, what has been going on clinically, um, reading the doctor's notes, reading the nurses notes. And then I kind of go into anything that I kind of need to follow up with, um, whether it be calling families or scheduling goals of care meetings with families, getting palliative involved, 
um, you know, discharging any patients that are, you know, leaving the, a lot of the patients that are leaving the floors are going home or to rehab facilities. Um, So that's kind of what dictates my day. Um, It's every day is different. So I don't really have specific things that I do all the time, but um, it's nice because you get different things and you change up your schedule. For, for students that are interested in, in social work, um, mm-hmm. what are some of the like, things that, are, that they could be reading or watching or listening to to kind of give them a sense of not only like what the job is like, but just maybe to kind of build those soft skills of being able to kind of read the room, know, uh, you know, understand the human interactions. What were some things that you think that like it would be really helpful for a student that wants to get into psychology and social work? What, what would be some of like the, the pre-work that they would have to do before they pursue the field? Yeah. Um, honestly, I got a lot of my kind of like information from meeting people um, in school and uh, talking to them about these things and what they do and what, the, you know, um, I don't know if you know Karina Villa. She's a state rep. She, I interviewed Oh, yeah. No, 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 yeah. Yes. So I interviewed her when I was like a freshman at Aurora University. And I basically asked her, like, hey, what do you do? Um, How does your day-to-day go? And, um, you know, she kind of exposed me to social work and gave me some more back information on school social work because she was a school social worker before she became a state rep. And so, um, you know, I think just reaching out to people and talking to people is probably going to be – well, it was the way that I learned the best. Um, Just – you know, asking them questions like, hey, what do you do? Because there's so many roles that a social worker can have, like, like in the within the hospital, you can you can just be a mental health um, social worker, or you could be a discharge planner, or, you know, you could be a school social worker. So I think reaching out to people that have the career that interests you is probably going to be your the best way to get some information. I, I mean, I, I've in the I've, I mean, I've interviewed so many students over these past few years uh, for this podcast and that what you just said there is so powerful is that you you would be surprised how generous people are with their time if it means that it's going to help you be better at what you want to do with your dreams your career and all of that I've, i've come across nothing but incredible grace that people have been able to right. give, whether or not it was, uh, you know, what Karina did for you uh, mm-hmm. or uh, a reporter did something really nice for another student uh, that who wanted to break into journalism. I mean, there's, it's, it's, it, I just see that over and over again. Right. So it's really nice to hear that echoed again. Um, so you really just, you know, take a chance on yourself and extend your network of right. potential net uh, of, of potential that can help you. So I, I love that. Yeah. So uh, Alondra, what are, what are some of the things that you have seen as, as either um, trends since you have started uh, your, um, your, your career? Obviously you have come into it during a very, um, 
intense time from a uh, national health standpoint with COVID and all of that. Right. Have there been any other kind of either concerning trends that you that we should keep our eye on or anything that we, you've seen that actually have been uh, you know, a, a positive thing that have happened in, in the world of, of mental health in the past few years? Right. So I think the number one thing that COVID has kind of brought is the ability of um, having resources or, you know, services provided to patients or to clients, um, you know, uh, having these resources be provided in multiple ways, not just in person. A lot of like online programs have been started, a lot of online group supports, um, you know, webinars, things like that have been very good at being able to be accessed all around, you know, so for people that can't leave their house for whatever reason have been able to get these services, you know, have been able to meet with counselors through Skype or, you know, have been able to um, meet with support groups through through Skype and which has been really, really great because I feel like it opens availability and, you know, People don't have to transportation is such a huge barrier for a lot of my clients and my patients. So it's like they don't have to leave their house. And um, I think that's one of the positives from COVID is that things are now available online and, you know, people are more willing to offer online services. And it's a really, really good benefit for patients. Um, I think also mental health is just going to be, it's, it's just so big now. I feel like everyone talks about it. It's no longer like stick, like it's no longer a stigma. Like, you know, people are talking about it openly and are more accepting to services and help. Um, and I think COVID has honestly done a lot of, um, you know, has had a lot of negative effects on a lot of people's mental health with the isolation and, you know, the worriness and the loss. So I think, you know, mental health is something that's going to come up a lot more um, in the future. And there's going to be a lot of more need for um, counseling and for, you know, uh, receiving services from mental health professionals. Laundra, you had mentioned, you know, that the word stigma, which is something that is what someone would would be a label that someone like, well, that person is weak because they uh, are getting counseling or mm -hmm. that person, blah, 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 all that stuff. You know, what do you think is the best advice to battle the stigma that if someone felt that, you know what, I do need help. And I, I really want to, um, I, I think I do want to make that first step. What's, what do you think is probably the best, maybe first two steps for someone who thinks that they may need to reach out and begin that journey to, uh, to get, to get better again? Yeah, I think, um, first accepting, you know, that you are, you know, you're, going through something because a lot of the times we want to, we want to say that we're stronger than we, you know, that we really are. And we don't want to face the fact that we're struggling with something. So accepting that, you know, you're struggling with something and honestly putting your happiness first, um, people are going to talk, people are going to have opinions and going to have, um, you know, they're going to want to say certain things about certain Med mental health issues, but 
you know, you have to focus on your health and your, your, your well-being. Um, and honestly, when you're mentally well, you are physically well too. It all, you know, goes together. So I think it's hard. It's hard to cut that stigma, but I feel like through social media, a lot of, you know, especially the younger generation are talking more about their mental health. And I think, you know, that exposure is really, really helping in a positive way because, you know, people aren't scared to say, you know, I struggle with depression or I struggle with anxiety. Um, and it's it's a really, really nice, um, nice way of kind of normalizing that this does happen. You know, we're not perfect and, you know, we have issues and we, you know, we do sometimes need professional help. Alondra, I wonder if you could tell me, like, what was your best day at work where like, you're like, you know what, I, I'm good at this. And, or at least that you felt like you've arrived and you have kind of settled in. Uh, do you remember what that day was where maybe it, it, it became very cl- crystal clear to you? Or do you remember uh, what, when that, what, when that happened for you? Um, honestly, it's hearing back feedback from patients and families and, you know, getting to talk to them and, um, getting their positive feedback. It's, it's like, oh, thank you so much for listening or thank you for talking to me or, you know, thank you for everything that you're doing. Um, you know, those simple thank yous are what really, you know, I guess keep me going and keep me, you know, validated, validating you know, why I do what I do, because I like to help people and I like to make people feel good. Um, And, you know, whether I can give them a resource that will alleviate like a a ton of anxiety or whether I can just sit there and listen to them and, you know, just process emotions or process, you know, everything that's going on. It's just it you know, validates my career for myself. Where do you see yourself in maybe five, 10 years? Probably doing some private counseling. Um, you know, counseling as a therapy is a whole different beast. And, you know, I, I hope that I can get a little bit better at that and, you know, maybe provide some more therapy individually and privately. What's the, how, how do you transition into that particular practice. Is there more coursework involved with that? How does that, um, how does it work? I mean, you're, you're always learning, but um, yes, it's definitely attending, you know, uh, webinars and receiving the proper training to specialize in a specific type of therapy that you want to provide. Um, I just did actually pass my clinical license exam, like literally like a week ago. So Technically, I am now able and licensed in the state of Illinois to provide therapy, um, but I want to make sure that I have all the adequate training so that I can, you know, serve my patients the best way. So, Alondra, this has been great. This yeah. has been so uh, wonderful. Uh, I was wondering uh, if you could leave us today with tips for success for current Wildcats. Yeah. Yeah. So, I think my biggest tip would be to network, Um, network all you can and don't be afraid to reach out to people because that's how I started. I reached out to people and I built connections. And honestly, these connections follow you, you know, even after college, Um, they can open a lot of doors for you. 
And by networking, I mean, you know, make, you know, reach out to people that are in the industry that you want to be in and, um, you know, talk to them and ask them questions and, you know, ask them if they know anybody else that you can network with and, you know, build your connections and build your relationships. Oh, one last question, (laughs) which is, is there a, is there like, what's your favorite book that probably really is the best one that it would be appropriate for uh, a high school student that would really kind of get them really that much more intrigued into psychology? It could be fiction, nonfiction. Uh, Do you have a book uh, suggestion? Um, I do. I would say, um, one book that I that I read that I really really liked was Tuesdays with Maury, and it's all about kind of following a man that's going through like the end of life, and him kind of reminiscing and going back to how you know his life like played out, and him going over like life's greatest lessons. So I think that is my favorite book, just because it just it 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 really encapsulates like live your best life and, you know, live your life with a, with, with grace and purpose. And, um, you know, I, I really like this quote, um, that states, you know, be the change you wish to see in the world. And I, you know, I really think that that's kind of what it goes with. Like, it's like, you have an impact in this world and, you know, your actions have, you know, will leave, will leave a trail behind. So always live your life to the fullest and the best. And, you know, when you look back in your life one day, you know, you're, you'd be proud of, you know, everything that you've done and everything that you've accomplished. Yeah. Well, Alondra, thank you so much. This has been uh, so interesting to hear about how this all started and all the incredible work that you're bringing back to your patients, the community. And uh, I'm really excited for uh, our staff, community and students to hear this interview. So thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. Help spread the word about We Go Places podcast by sharing this episode with one other wildcat. As always, find past and future episodes on Apple or Google Podcasts or any other platform. Just search WeGo Vox. That's WeGo V-O-X. You can also stay current by following us on Facebook at WeGo Places Podcast or on Twitter at WeGo Places. <laughs>